the feeling of imposter syndrome is so real. Oh, it holds so many. It keeps so many people from actually succeeding and doing what they want to do because it's not skill, it's not talent, it's not um, financing and all this that really makes you successful. It's the person who doesn't quit. It's the one that shows up every day and fails because it's not a failure, it's a lesson. Okay, Edison said, I learned 10,000 ways to not make a light bulb, but he made a whole bunch of other things. So, I mean, that's that's the whole point of this. It's it's nobody knows the, there's no right way to get to be successful, period. Because success is a perception and it's the perception of the holder, not the not the people around them. And we get caught up in what everybody else says success is. Dan, I couldn't agree more. I, I tell people a lot of times, if you can, put those blinders on, uh, especially when you're in a moment of trial and tribulation. It's uh, you know really just focusing on what you need to do to be successful for your next step. Join me, Jeremy Swick, on Into the Unknown, a podcast that delves into the personal journeys, stories, and experiences of individuals across diverse professions. As a historian by trade, I firmly believe that our personal histories shape our present and offer valuable insights into our paths ahead. With that being said, let's get into it. On this episode of Into the Unknown, I am joined with Dan Capello. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm awesome. How are you doing today? Hey, man, I can't complain. It's winter in Wisconsin, but I don't think I'd have it any other way. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, it's winter in Texas, so it's, you know, 45 degrees. Hey, It'll nothing, get down to 30 tonight, but that's it. Hey, nothing wrong with that, man. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I do miss, I lived in Atlanta for a while, and I do miss that version of winter, you know? Right. Yeah, winter is like, uh, yeah, there's no, you know, if it snows, it's gone in a day or two. You no, know, I think networking is so important. It's one of those things that really, you know, connects people. You really never know where you might meet someone. So how do we know each other? Through uh, Olivia Arkin. Absolutely. You know, Olivia has been a guest on the show and Olivia has just been so great to get to know. And she's been so helpful in my podcasting journey from audits to, you know, being a guest on my show. I speak nothing but highly of Olivia, you know. Oh, yeah. No, she she does that. She's got a great TEDx uh, talk out there and, you know, she's running a great program. Exactly. Exactly. So now let's jump into it. I want to know okay. that comic book issue episode one who are you and where are you from um well i'm you know i'm dan capello i'm i'm from port arthur texas uh i grew up in a you know middle class home and um but and it was like everybody else you got the the beautiful picture on the wall with the family and everybody but the family you know the picture just shows the highlights it's like today's social media it shows the best of the best. It doesn't show all the pain, the trauma, and all the things that, you know, we live behind as adults. It doesn't show any of that. So, but, uh, you know, I had uh, I had a lot of issues when I was growing up. I was sexually uh, molested when I was six, and that kind of like tripped it all up and uh, created the speech impediment, dyslexia, learning problems, bullying. So I got to grow up with all kinds of, um, yeah, childhood, you know, there was great times, but most of them were, there was a lot of bad times, which thank goodness my brain blocks out. Our brain is very good at that. And then I ended up, ended up being a chef. So I was a chef for 30 years and fit right in with the um, coping mechanisms and all that. 
And, you know, that's, that's where I all started. How did you get started becoming a chef? Well, I was, went to college and I was like biochemistry pre-med because uh, my English was with the dyslexia was, wasn't very good, but my math and science were off the charts. So I was like biochemistry. I did all the courses and all that, but I always got hung up on the English classes and the um, histories and everything I had to read. That's where I ran into all my, a lot of the issues and I would drop those classes. Wanted up with all my biochemistry, genetics, all those courses. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I want to go. I think I will be a chef. And my parents were like, you can't make a money, make a living as a chef. Well, I actually did fairly well. So I ended up being a chef at a high end, uh, a few high end country clubs. So that's incredible. So when you first got started as a chef, you, you had mentioned that maybe your parents were kind of just like, I don't know if that's the right choice. When you first decided to do that, where did you start at? I actually went to a community college in Houston, Houston Community College. I started doing the program and then a certified master chef from Austria was at the Houston Country Club. And so I applied there and I didn't get called and I, and then I just called him every day. And finally, he's just like, you know what, just come in, just stop calling me and just come in. And uh, my first day was Labor Day. And I think it was a 16 or 18 hour day, my very first day. And it was just like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? And then I was like, at the end of the day, it was like, this is cool. I can do this. So I learned from uh, some of the best chefs and um, it made life very good. I rose the ranks very good, but I still had emotional problems and, you know, addictions and coping mechanisms and all that. So, you know, I, I don't, I hate to say it's, it's not really, it's a pirate crew. We called it pirate crews. So, and not everybody was like that, but there was quite a few of us that were, you know, Anthony Bourdain, he, his whole book and all that shows the underbelly of the, the cooking industry. And that's so, so real and prevalent in, you know, a lot of the people's lives that actually are culinarians or front of the house. As you rose the ranks and went to different establishments, is there something that was consistent or is there something that, uh, that really stuck out to you during your journey there? Well, I ended up mostly in country clubs. I tried some other stuff, corporate stuff and restaurants, but that just wasn't for me. The, cor the, the country club life was good. You had to be really consistent because it's the same people day in, day out. That's who that's who your customers were. And but you got to do all kinds of things. Most of the food we served was uh, casual, family casual, because that's where the families came and eat. But then we also had fine dining. We had the holiday parties. You know, every year we were doing beef wellingtons and truffles and foie gras. And in the summer we did barbecue. And but everything we did, we tried to do the very best we could. We researched it and learned and, and trained and. Uh, we had a lot of international people in the kitchens. And so we got to learn all kinds of different things from Europe and India and um, South America, Central America. So it was really good, Asia. And so we got to learn a whole bit of different things. And at a country club, you can you can do all these different things. You're not pigeonholed like in a restaurant. It's like, OK, we do classical American cuisine or we do French cooking or we and that's what you do day in, day in, day in. And. With the other one, we got to do so many different things. I mean, like the summertime, you had salads and healthy and barbecue and hamburgers. You know, you had to make the best hamburger. So you bought the best ingredients. You made the buns. You did you did whatever you could to make the best burger because the cost, yes, you had to run a profit, 
not really a profit. You had, you know, margins you had to meet, but they were very liberal in a country club because it's a nonprofit organization. So we, we were able to afford the labor to do the hard things that restaurants can't do and the money to buy the nice ingredients that for-profit, you know, restaurants, because in the food industry, the restaurants, the, the profit margin is so small. Um, and that's, it, it, it's really, people don't realize the cost of the food and the production. It's like, yeah, the chicken was this much a pound, but you know, you, you get a tenderloin, there's a yield on it. And if you don't hit that yield, you, you lose money. And then you have to utilize the scraps and you have to do this and you have to, do, it's all, you know, and you can't waste anything. So you learn a lot and that really parlays into life on getting your mise en place or your stuff ready for the thing you're doing. And that's what worked into the, what I do now with my book that's coming out is actually deliberate evolution. It talks about evolving into the person that you need to be to do what you need to do. Because we, when we start something, you know, there's always imposter syndrome, Yes. but we're not imposters, but we are, you know, and, you know, imposter was meant, you know, in, in the sense that people say it is you're there to fool somebody. Whereas when you get the imposter syndrome, it's like, yes, you're a beginner, but you have to be an apprentice to, to have to become a master. So. I couldn't agree with that statement more. I still remember my first day in graduate school at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, got my master's in public history. And I remember walking into that small room of people and being like, oh, this is this is kind of for real. I was fortunate in the sense that I got my undergrad at Eau Claire as well. So I had already known the professors. We were, we were on a pretty much a first name basis at that point. But I do remember that instant when I first walked into the room around a very intelligent group of people and almost felt like I didn't belong. And, you know, thankfully for me, at least I was able to kind of snap out of it pretty quickly. And I was like, you're here for a reason. You're here the same reason everyone else is to, you know, continue your education and continue to, you know, develop those, those tools. But I, I think the feeling of imposter syndrome is so real. Oh, it holds so many, it keeps so many people from actually succeeding and doing what they want to do because it's not skill. It's not talent. It's not, um, financing and all this that really makes you successful, it's the person who doesn't quit. It's the one that shows up every day and fails because it's not a failure, it's a lesson. Okay, Edison said, I learned 10,000 ways to not make a light bulb, but he made a whole bunch of other things. So, I mean, that's that's the whole point of this. It's It's nobody knows the, there's no right way to get to be successful, period. Because success is a, perception and it's the perception of the holder, not the, not the people around them. And we get caught up in what everybody else says success is. Dan, I couldn't agree more. I, I tell people a lot of times, if you can't put those blinders on, uh, especially when you're in a moment of trial and tribulation, it's, uh, you know, really just focusing on what you need to do to be successful for your next step. Oh yeah. So, you know, going off that level of success, I think on everyone's journey, there's a chance they can go East, a chance they can go West they make a decision not really knowing the outcome. Can you give me a time in your life where that happened to you? Oh yeah, I mean, it's like with what I'm doing right now, we went to, so I was 300 pounds burnt out and cooking. And, you know, I was like, I gotta, I gotta have to do something. I, I saw a picture of myself and I didn't recognize myself. I was like, who is that? It's like, how'd I get there? How'd I get from 230 pounds to 300 pounds without seeing it? 
you know, busy, constant, working, stress, coping mechanism, and you just keep doing the nasty cycle. And so actually it was July, January 1st, after I read uh, David Goggins book, I was like, you know, I'm gonna run a Spartan race. And it's like, who does that? It's like, well, I did it. And so October of 2019, I actually ran my first Spartan race and I lost like 70 pounds to do that. But then COVID hit and it's like, man, so, you know, with all the, with the food industry, it was really hard and I got burned out and then, you know, got better and then burned out and better. And then we opened the, everything open. We didn't have staff. Food cost was up because we couldn't get stuff and everything was expensive and it, it was just crazy. And it was like, I, I want to make a business to help people get through the burnout because it's really not burnout they need to get through. It's the perception they have of their success perception of what of who they are in the world and you know their goals and their priorities and all that or they don't they don't value that and they're not balanced in life and i was like you know what if i could help people what if i could help people balance that out because you don't have to work 80 hours to be successful you can work 40 hours smartly and involved and engrossed with what you're doing and make more progress than if you work 80 hours and you're half there. And you're worried about your wife leaving and you, you're worried about your children because you're not home. You're worried about this and you, you donate it. You know, I always say it's like you take the time that you promised your family, your kids or spouse or whoever, and you take that from them and you sell it for money for 80 hours a week for, for your ego, for your career, for your, you know, and then what do we ended up with? We, we hate our job. And then, you know, our, our family doesn't, doesn't want to be around us because we're not around them. That was a big challenge just to be able to go from, okay, this is what I want to do. And then I end up writing a, I got a book that comes out in probably a couple of weeks. And it's all about that whole shift, that mental shift, the evolution. And I track my evolution and the evolution of three different chefs in their careers. The title of the podcast, Into the Unknown, and we talked about it a little bit. <laughs> what, what are you working on? Can you explain the book? Where can people find it? When's it coming out? And what's it called? Uh, the name of the book is Deliberate Evolution. Uh, six stops every leader must make to step into a life of success. It's like the very first part. What's the thing in there that can change your life? And it's that millisecond. Is there's a millisecond between deciding if you're going to respond instead of react in the moment. And there's so much stuff. And then in that little millisecond, that's where my six stops come in. It's really a stop on journey. It's figuring out, you know, your, your values, your priorities, your goal, your goal, uno goal, not multiple goals. You should have, if you have 20 goals, they should roll up into one goal, one North star. And, you know, really, and then it's a brutally honest self-evaluation of self-awareness. What do you, you know, who are you? What do you want? What do you, because we're all really bad at something and we're all really good at something and we won't admit the bad. And then sometimes we won't admit the good because we're shy or, or we feel like we're boasting, but we have to embrace both. You know, we have to go to young shadow and we have to get the shadow and it has to be part of us. And, you know, the ego, we have to have the ego to survive, but we can't live by the ego so, I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of it and your perception of yourself. And so that's the whole book is 
it's really this evolution of I start back when I was a kid. You know, that's that moment I call it ground zero is figure, you know, when I finally figured out that, you know, why I was so crazy as a person, because I was, you know, angry and um, high strung, easily triggered. And then I figured it out. I, I, I found that that memory back when I was six years old. So and I'm, I'm very vulnerable and honest about it because it's like and people are like, well, why do you say that? That's you shouldn't be talking about that. I'm like, no, somebody out there has had the same worse or better happen to them. And society has made them feel like they are less than a person, whereas you find out what happened in your past so you can heal it. It's not going to go away, but you can. There's a superpower in everything that happened to us, and you have to take that superpower and you can turn that into, you know, helping you, helping uh, helping you help others, and, and that's that's your purpose. You know, it's what you have to help others, and fulfillment actually comes from using what you have to help others. So, you know, I want to be fulfilled. So I. And that's what that's what life is about, you know, recognition, being fulfilled. You know, we don't want to come home to an, uh, an empty house. We really don't. At least I don't. <laughs> exactly. Hearing about your book, it's just finding ways to create the best life for yourself on this journey that we're all on, which is, of course, life. And I'm just excited. Where can people find this book? DanCapello.com. And there'll be a link on there you can follow for the book. Um, there's going to be a workbook. The book actually has exercises in, in, in the six chapters that, that talk about the steps, there's exercises in every single one. And then there's like questions at the end to ask yourself for self reflection. So it's really, yes, it's a storybook. It talks about the story of, of my life and other people's evolution of their life, but it also has exercises to help you and also has questions that will help you because in life, if we don't ask the right questions, we don't get the right answers. And if we don't ask enough questions, we don't get enough answers to make enough decisions that will help us. And that's the, the premise of the book is ask yourself more questions. Dan, I love all that. And I'll make sure, you know, once the episode comes out, hopefully mid-January, early February, we'll make sure we have that linked in the show notes so people can, you know, go right to the book and purchase a copy themselves. Just going into the new year, is there anything you speak of one goal, a North Star? Is there an overarching goal you have for 2024? You know, my my goal is to get this book out in front of people and change lives. And, you know, there's multiple things I've rolled up into that. Um, I've signed up for another Spartan race in, in June, July, June, in June in Montana. And just because, you know, it's like, I liked who I was while I was training. I laugh because, and I, I tell people, it's like when you're getting ready for this, you're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to sprain your ankles, you're going to twist your, you're going to pop your knee. You're going to, and I'm, I'm, I'm like right in the middle of doing all those injuries and getting, getting better. Uh, Cause it's, you know, it's, it's a good race, but really it's, you know, my 2024 is, I, I don't set it up as a resolution. I set up a, as, you know, my evolution to Dan, you know, I may be 4.0 right now, you know, when I hit January 1, it's going to be 4.1, 4.2, 4.3, all the way up until I get to 4.12, and then it's going to be 5.0. It's not going to be from 4 to 5 because we have to fill in all those little steps and all those little parts of our personalities and, and 
self-awareness. We have to fill all those in on the journey. So that's, that's really what my thing is, is, and to bring people along on that journey. Dan, I love that. You know, just one more thing for those who are uninformed, what is a Spartan race? Mind sharing a little bit about that? So a Spartan race is a obstacle race. And it's, um, so the first one I did was in right here in, in Texas, in Dallas area. Uh, it was like three miles. I had 24 obstacles. And it's like, you know, some of them you go under the barbed wire, you carry these big Atlas balls. I think it was like a 110 pound Atlas ball. You have to pick it up, carry it, drop it, do some burpees, pick it up, carry it back, drop it. And then you carry these rucks and then you climb stuff. It's 40 feet in the air and there's walls and under the water. So you do all this. And then, so the one that I'm going to do in June is I'm going to try to sign up for the 12 mile one. So we'll see how that works out. <laughs> well, Dan, I wish you nothing but success on that. Again, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. And, you know, I look forward to seeing what 2020, excuse me, I look forward to seeing what 2024 brings for you, man. Yeah, me too, man. I, I, and and uh, I really appreciate you having me on here. It was really great um, being on your show and, you know, being part of, of your um your goal, you know, that's, that's also, you know, like you said, the whole thing is that, um, you know, we're all to get all, all, all into this together. We're all intertwined and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here and share and, and I'm so grateful, you know, to have, to be on your show. And thanks again, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, you have an awesome day. You too. That was another fun episode of Into the Unknown. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen. And if it provides you any value or entertainment, I would love if you shared it with others, liked, subscribed, and really just helped the podcast grow. Again, tell a friend, tell a foe, just anyone who might enjoy hearing some stories of people's own journeys and what got them to where they are today. Till next time.